Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. If you'd like to be on the program, well, we're getting a crackdown on COVID, it appears. Uh, Pete Ducey on Fox News uh, has some of the details. Go back to the clip with Dr. Fauci. He said that these people walking into the country is a different issue when it comes to international travelers potentially with COVID, at least getting COVID tested. And he said that there are ways to test them at the border, these border crossers. That's true. There are ways to do it. However, U.S. Customs and Border Protection doesn't do it, except in very few circumstances. They usually kick it over to non-governmental agencies, but we know that they don't always do it because, remember, it was only a couple months ago that some of these uh, larger border towns uh, were, they had mid-sized hotels that were filling up with people who either had just tested positive for COVID or uh, somebody in their family had just tested positive for COVID, and the people in the town had no idea. So there, there are two sets of rules based on what this these very strict regulations coming down uh, tomorrow uh, how they are going to be applied one set of rules if you do things the right way and you go to the airport and say i've just been uh, i'm coming from overseas this is where i was and then another set of rules if you just walk on it yeah and that's kind of the problem here now they, they are laying these out here the biden administration does expect you if you are coming into this country now, that you're going to have to quarantine and you're going to have to have COVID tests within 24 hours of trying to come into the United States, uh, a whole lot more there. The, the problem here, again, and this gets to what Ducey is saying, is, is we're not really doing the same thing with illegal aliens as much as we have, uh, as much as the Trump administration would have done. There will be tighter rules for travelers coming into the country. But if you just come across the border, vaccination status, all that stuff, doesn't matter. They are going to reimplement the Trump administration protocols, though, to keep you in Mexico. You're not supposed to come across the border. The problem is they're doing nothing to um, pursue it. Now, here from the Wall Street Journal, to give you a little more background here, President Biden plans to tighten up COVID-19 testing timelines for travelers in the U.S. and extend a mask mandate on airplanes and other public transportation as part of a broad administration effort to combat the Omicron variant. International travelers coming to the U.S. will have to test within a day of departure, regardless of vaccine status, rather than 72 hours. The new testing rules will apply both to U.S. citizens and foreign nationals. The administration will also require travelers to wear masks through mid-March on planes, buses, and trains, and at domestic transportation hubs, such as airports and indoor bus terminals, rather than allowing the requirement to expire on January 18th. Fines will continue to double. Their initial levels with a minimum of $500 for noncompliance, up to $3,000 for repeat offenses. The new steps come as the U.S. reports its first case of the Omicron variant. Top health officials said Wednesday a fully vaccinated traveler who recently returned to California from South Africa had mild COVID-19 symptoms that were improving. On Thursday, health officials confirmed another case, a Minnesota resident who had recently traveled to New York City for a convention, experienced mild symptoms, and had since recovered. Wait a second. A Minnesota resident who had traveled to New York City for a convention? 
So did he get it in New York City? Is it already spreading? Therein lies the rub. It's probably been around for a while. Now, I, I've got I got to play you a bit of audio here. This is from John Heileman. He is on MSNBC on Morning Joe this morning. Listen to what he is saying. It's because if people follow Fauci, there's likely a chance that COVID will go away. And if COVID goes away, it's bad right now for Republicans. It's just the math on this, the political math on this is not hard to figure out. Republicans don't want COVID to go away. That's now the talking point. Republicans don't want COVID to go away. The math is not hard on this, really. This is going to become dogma on the Democratic side and this the media side that it's the Republicans who don't want this to go away. Meanwhile, the Republicans say the Democrats don't want it to go away because the Democrats want to use it to control us. It's kind of ridiculous that we're playing at politics over a virus. So what's really going on here? Can, can I be like a voice of reason here? I am not an expert. I am not a medical doctor, but I know medical doctors to talk to. I know epidemiologists. I know virologists. I know general practitioners. I know immunologists and oncologists, and I talk to them so that I can better explain to you what's actually going on. What is going on is this. A great freak out about the unknown. A very great freak out about the unknown. Hmm? Well, friends, we don't know a lot about the Omicron variant yet. And so there's a freak out about it. What we do know is that the Omicron variant has some mutations in the protein spikes. Now, what are the protein spikes? If you ever envision, you've all now seen the image of the of the orb that is the COVID virus, and it's got those little, they look like uh, golf tees with red hair sticking out of the, the virus. Those are the protein spikes. And the major vaccines are designed to bind to those spikes and thereby prevent them from connecting, spreading, uh, and, and infecting. The Omicron variant we know has some mutations to those spikes that may, may make it more difficult for the antibodies to stop it from spreading. Notice the word may. There is so much of this that we do not actually know. There is so much of this that is unknown. There is so much of this that we don't have enough data for to be able to actually articulate a a reasonable answer for where things are coming. What we know for certain is that the Omicron variant has thus far not actually spread rapidly with terrible results. There are, if you will, if you want to think about it, and and this is what one of the, I've heard now an immunologist and an epidemiologist tell me this, that, you know, viruses, they want to survive. It's, It's natural. A virus is a biological organism 
and it wants to survive. Every animal wants to survive. A virus is a microbe. It wants to survive. It may not be sentient, but it wants to survive. If the virus mutates in such a way that kills the host, the virus can't spread. Therefore, the virus can't survive. If the virus is mutates in such a way as to be mild, you're not going to die, so the virus can keep spreading. So the long-term consequence of the virus is the virus wants to mutate over time mildly so that it can stay alive and spread and continue to grow. This is why Ebola doesn't spread around the world. Ebola is a virus that is so virulent, it's not widely contractable, and when you contract it, you die. And because you die, you're not spreading Ebola. The flu, on the other hand, is a virus that has survived around since the Spanish flu and mutated over time in such a way that most people who get it, they may get very sick for a week, but they're not going to die, and the flu can continue to exist and evolve. This virus will evolve. It will in some ways mutate, and those mutations will be very deadly, and those mutations will die off very quickly. It will mutate in other ways that make you very sick, but you don't die, so the virus can keep perpetrating, perpetuating. The Omicron variant, it's really too soon to have too much data on it. It's really too soon to tell the state of play with how it's going to be. But what we know initially on the ground in southern Africa, in Israel, and in Europe, where we now know it was spreading far sooner than we expected, it's been mild. It's been mild. Now, we don't know, given the number of cases— Is it mild because of the people it infected? Because, you know, some people with even the Delta variant had mild cases. Is it mild because of the people it infected? Or is it mild because that's the nature of the mutation? We we, we don't know that yet. We don't know how quickly it will spread. We don't know the rate of transmission. And we don't know whether or not the vaccines will actually uh, help ward it off. We suspect they will in some way or reduce the symptoms. The data seems encouraging so far, but there's very limited data. But what's the media and the and the response from the government? It's absolute panic. It's an absolute crackdown. It's an extension of the masks. At this point, the masks can go away because COVID is now mutated enough that it's in the tiniest particulates that float in the air uh, when, when from respiratory breathing, and so it's going to go through most masks. In 95 masks will be good. Surgical masks, okay. Cloth masks, not that great. And those are the ones most people are wearing. No one's going out and, and, and not everyone is out there wearing in 95 masks. Most people are not wearing in 95 masks. But there's a collective freakout. Now, part of the freakout as well, to be fair, is they don't know what to expect and they want to get ahead of it. And part of that freakout seems to be having an impact, uh, a positive impact. Now, what is the positive impact? Around the country, there has been a spike in booster shots. In the last two weeks, companies, pharmaceutical companies that have not seen a wave of people come in are starting to see a wave of people come in for the booster shot. So the awareness there has been good. It makes me wonder, is part of the overreaction and, and the hyperbole and the fear about Omicron designed to scare you into getting a booster shot? That could very well be the case. 
By design or not, that could be the case. But the reality, frankly, is the media is going to constantly freak out about COVID now. When we get the theta variant of COVID, and we will get to the theta variant of COVID eventually, the media will be hysterical again. We will only get to the theta variant of COVID because the variants that came before still had very high survivability rates. In fact, the average person who gets COVID now is going to have a remarkable chance of success of fighting it. And the person who's vaccinated against it will have an even better chance of surviving it. The unvaccinated elderly with pre-existing conditions are the most vulnerable. There's an argument to be said about taking care of yourself so that you do not then infect those people. There's a very valid argument there. But there's also an argument to be said that if you get COVID, you're going to be fine, particularly if you've been vaccinated. And if you've been vaccinated, the odds are still you're not going to get it. And if you've been vaccinated and boosted, the odds are even greater you're not going to get it. And it seems like if you want to get everyone to get the vaccine or to get the booster, you would say, hey, once you've done it, go live your life. Take off your mask. Go outside. Go to your restaurant. Get vaccinated and go live your life. And they're not doing that. Which raises the question of who is it really that wants to keep this thing going? And again, I know I've got friends who say it's all about they want to control, they want to control, they want to control. Now, I, I think it's about they can't admit they failed because they lack the humility to ever acknowledge that really this thing is going to be around forever. Today is a very, very rare day. It's a very rare day. Today is both the palindrome and an ambigram. Today's a palindrome and an ambigram. It's 1202-2021 forwards, and if you write it backwards, it's 1202-2021, and if you flip it upside down, it's still 1202-2021 if you use digital print. Today's a very rare day. Palindromes. I love palindromes. You know, palindromes are something you can read left to right, and they're the same thing. Uh, And today's date is a palindrome. That's kind of cool. All right. We got other stuff we got to move on and talk about beyond the lockdowns and the like. Uh, you know, there's more polling out. I, I just, I, so, okay, I, I'm fascinated by this as, as a political junkie. And I know some people aren't, and some people are really burned out on it, but I'm actually really fascinated by this as a political junkie. Because one of the things with Donald Trump is that he, Donald Trump had bad presidential approval ratings. But Donald Trump's presidential approval ratings did not per se translate into a terrible time as president constantly. He wasn't constantly stepping on himself. And you could see, and the Democrats had real-world approval fear, real-world fear of the approval that Donald Trump could still win the presidency. The problem here is that Joe Biden's polling is just staying bad, and not only is it staying bad, it's translating into bad news overall for the Democrats in a way it really never did for Donald Trump, except now in in 2018, to be fair, it it, it kind of did. And while his disapproval is slightly trending down 
and his approval is slightly trending up, it's only doing so by the virtue of nothing really has happened of late. But now suddenly you got the Omicron variant. I mean, let me just read you. I mean, his his polling here, he's down 15 in Quinnipiac. He's down 9 in Politico. He's down 10 in Fox. He's down 1 in the Hill Harris poll. Down 5 in the Reuters poll. Down 7 in the NPR poll. Down 23 in the Trafalgar poll. Down 6 in the Economist YouGov poll. Down 13 in the Rasmussen poll. Even taking out the Rasmussen and the Trafalgar, which lean to the GOP, he's still down a good chunk and shows no signs of recovering. And with inflation on the rise, my goodness gracious. The supply chain problems for the Christmas season, my goodness gracious. People are having a real hard time on this one. People are having a real hard time relating to Biden. They're having a real hard time finding anything to like about him. And it's causing trouble for the Democrats. And that's actually one of the reasons I'm fascinated. And and by the way, in the next hour, we're going to have Brian Kemp joining me. And I'm fascinated by the Abrams decision to run. And it sounds like she's really banking on the fact David Perdue is going to jump in. And I'm told it's growing more likely David Perdue does get into the race in the primary against Brian Kemp. And if he does, I would suspect the incumbent governor, given his ground game operation, will be able to pull it off in the primary. But we'll have to spend exorbitant sums of money in which to do it. Will he have any outside groups coming in to help him? Maybe so. Uh, But then Purdue will as well in the form of Donald Trump and Donald Trump's PACs trying to help him. It'll be a bloody, bloody affair. And that's Stacey Abrams will benefit from any sort of challenge like that. Hi there, it's Eric Erickson. The phone number, if you want to be on the program, 877-973-7425 in 30 minutes. It's such a national, national news story, according to the New York Times and Washington Post, that Stacey Abrams is going to run for governor in Georgia. I'm going to be joined by the current governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, in 30 minutes. Now, I, I I want to play you some audio here. And you're just going to have to listen to me riff on a subject for a little while. This is Alec Baldwin talking to George Stephanopoulos about that shooting incident on the movie set Rust. She was someone who was loved by everyone who worked with and liked by everyone who worked with and admired. Yeah, the dramatic music and all of that. Even now. I find it hard to believe that. It just doesn't seem it doesn't seem real to me. You haven't said much in public since that tragic accident. Why speak out now? I think the big question, and the one you must have asked yourself a thousand times, how could this have happened? You've described it as a one in a trillion shot, and the gun was in your hand. How do you come to terms with that? It wasn't in the script for the trigger to be pulled. Well, the trigger wasn't pulled. I didn't pull the trigger. So you never pulled the trigger? No, 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 no. I I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them, never. What did you think happened? How did a real bullet get on that set? I have no idea. Someone put a live bullet in a gun, a bullet that wasn't even supposed to be on the property. How do you respond to actors like George Clooney who say that every time they were handed a gun, they checked it themselves? Your emotions are so clearly so right there on the surface. You felt shock. 
You felt anger. I, I'm sorry. I, I would never point a gun at anyone and pull a trigger at them. I, I gotta, I gotta stop there because the, the whole thing is so overdone. George Stephanopoulos trying to to make this in, into the much watched thing. I just, I want to focus on a couple of things. Uh, Stephen Gutowski at the Reload, uh, which is the best website for journalism related to guns, actually has a story out. Uh, yes. Alec Baldwin's gun could have fired without him pulling the trigger. In his first major interview since being involved in a fatal shooting on the set of his latest movie, Alec Baldwin made a surprising new claim about his actions that day. Baldwin said the gun went off without him ever actually pulling the trigger. At first glance, this sounds far-fetched. It is exceedingly rare for a gun to fire without the trigger being depressed. Modern firearms, even replicas of antique guns, have safeties specifically designed to prevent them from firing without the trigger being pulled. It only really happens when the gun's firing mechanism is damaged or there is a significant design flaw. That's why most gun owners and firearm safety trainers are highly skeptical of any claim a gun just went off absent user error. In Baldwin's case, though, the claim is more believable. That's because the gun involved is more prone to firing without the trigger being pulled. And even though it's a modern replica of an antique design, it's possible it did not include modern safety devices. Santa Fe County Sheriff Aiden Mendoza identified the gun used in the shooting as a modern Pieta replica. I think I'm saying that right. Pieta replica with a single action army revolver. Those guns can be bought either with a transfer bar that makes it impossible for the firing pin to strike the primer unless the trigger is pulled or without one. Often, enthusiasts and collectors prefer the models without modern safety devices because it's more authentic and perfectly safe when handled properly. In other words, though this was a replica of an antique gun— If it was an accurate replica, it would have left out the modern safety device that makes this gun notorious for self-firing. Now, again, this is what Baldwin or uh, Stephen Gutowski writes. None of this means Baldwin's story is entirely accurate. It's not clear if drawing a gun from a holster in this state would be enough to set it off. It still seems more plausible Baldwin pulled the trigger, but... The gun firing without the trigger being pulled is not as far-fetched as it sounds at first. You know, I, I've this story is it's first of all, can we we should all be able to acknowledge it? It's a tragic story. A woman has lost her life, leaving behind a husband and two kids. The director was also shot. And Baldwin, for the rest of his life, will live with the fact that he killed a lady. Didn't mean to, but he killed a lady. He will also, for the rest of his life, live with people who don't like him, ridiculing that fact and making it the butt of jokes. I I understand... I really do understand in his case, but given who he is and how he's behaved in the past, uh, the people who just want to come out and lash lash out at him and laugh at him and ridicule him and make jokes about it and throw it in his face, particularly being someone who was a zealot on um, anti-gun stuff 
He's wanted to round up everybody's guns in the past. I, and I so I get it. But I, I hope even the people who are critical of him and lashing at him do understand some level of empathy on this, that this is a guy who is, I mean, he saw this woman die and he knows he's the one who shot her and he's trying to process it and trying to rationalize it. And in fact, his story has changed a bit from when he first talked to the authorities. I, I, I got to tell you, though, as a lawyer, that is entirely normal uh, because as a lawyer, you know that your client, it, you, you never want him to immediately talk to the authorities because your client is still trying to process what happened. And in times like this, typically you've killed someone. Your your mind is a scattered, jumbled mess. And so you're trying to put the pieces of the timeline together as to what actually happened. And you probably don't actually have the recollection to begin with. And now a lot of people think, and again, I I know this from having done, uh, from, from being a lawyer and doing criminal defense law. Your reaction hearing me say this is, no, no, what's actually happening is he wants to go come up with his comprehensive story that gives him plausible deniability. And I get, and I acknowledge that. But if you study it, what you will find is actually when something like this happens, when a tragedy like this happens, your mind becomes a scattered mess very quickly. If you haven't been through this, you can't appreciate it. And it takes you a little bit of decompressing to be able to align the pieces in your brain in an order that makes sense. Now, maybe you're aligning them in an order that makes sense to you, but they're the wrong order or you've added or subtracted facts to make it make sense. But that's also natural in these situations, and it doesn't mean he's lying. It means he's processing this traumatic event, traumatic event that he knows he caused. And I don't I, – I mean, I do. I got to acknowledge I, I, I want to be someone who piles on, given that you and I both know that if it was someone else, uh, Alec Baldwin would be piling on that person. But I can't bring myself to do it because it is such a horrific, tragic event. No one wakes up in the morning thinking, hey, you know what? I'm just going to go accidentally kill somebody. Nobody wakes up and says that. You do that, you're actually a sociopath, a homicidal maniac. You're intending to murder. He did not wake up intending to murder someone. He went to work that day and did not intend to murder someone. And now he's dealing with the consequences and the repercussions. And there will be lawsuits. He will probably be dragged into the lawsuits. But the bottom line here is that these film sets are supposed to have an armorer. And that armorer is supposed to examine the guns immediately prior to uh, shooting them. And somehow or another, this gun had a live round in it. And what we have from initial press reports, if they're still holding up based on people on the set, is that this gun had been used on a fire, like outside in a firing uh, to, to be shot. Which means there was some level of recklessness and negligence that went into it. Now, Baldwin was probably not there. Baldwin really is anti-gun. I have a hard time thinking he's going to be on a, a gun range firing a gun with, with a bunch of people. They've already tried to make the armor on the set, who apparently was brand new, uh, the fall guy for this. They're arguing over liability. What I just think is is the, the interesting commentary on this is, one, the 
the level of noxiousness towards Baldwin because he himself is a noxious person, and so now it's reflected back against him. But also, there was an immediate when the story came out that that he was going to claim that the gun just fired itself. There was a lot of, ah, there's no way. This guy didn't know what he's talking about. Clearly, he pulled the trigger. And actually, a good journalist who knows his gun, Stephen Gutowski, points out that actually it's very possible with this particular gun that was used on set based on what the sheriff said that, yeah, actually that could have happened. But now I'm going to jump into something else, and trust me here, I am a professional. A lot of people jump to a lot of conclusions before they knew what they were talking about, before there was enough data out there. A lot of people had very strongly held opinions without knowing all of the details. And the stock market has crashed because of it, because... Everyone's come to a conclusion on the Omicron variant, and we don't even know all the details. And as the details come out, they're probably going to put the Omicron variant in a completely different perspective. But the American mainstream media, seizing on a story, rushed out with a whole lot of facts and details that may actually prove not to be facts at all, but speculation and claims about what happened on the set before Baldwin fired the gun or before the doctors had done enough research on COVID. We're being shaped in our opinions on this story about Alec Baldwin, and we're being shaped in our opinions on the Omicron variant and so much else based on a whole lot of speculation, not facts, based on a rush to be first with the story, not to be right with the story. And so much of that is poisoning the well with the mainstream media and what the media covers and how it covers it in this rush not just to carry a narrative forward and pursue a narrative over facts, but also to be first, not accurate with the story. So there was a rush to judgment on so many people's part over Baldwin and what happened. There's a rush to judgment over the Omicron variant. And that one, by the way, had real-world repercussions. Have you seen your 401k in the last 72 hours? The rush to be first not accurate, the rush to drive a news story with speculation has cost you money in your 401k because of the media's irresponsibility and also the professional political classes' irresponsibility. Maybe, just maybe, perhaps we should calm down and wait to hear the rest of the story before making our minds up on things like this. Just Two stories completely unrelated, but still driven by the same meta pattern of facts, if you will. Now, you know, it's also like the the abortion coverage out there. My gosh, the analysis on daytime and nighttime news and television over the Dobbs case and what was heard at the Supreme Court yesterday was staggering on how few of those people were actual real analysts and were just political operatives selling talking points. It was unfortunate. The pro-life cause is one I am dearly committed to, and it's one reason I like partnering with a site like Patriot Mobile uh, where it's a cell phone company. You can get your cell service from them. And they give a portion of their profits to the pro-life cause and the Second Amendment cause and to veterans and first responders. They're a Christian conservative company, and they're great. You get real good coverage from Patriot Mobile. What you do is you go 
to PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, PatriotMobile.com slash E-R-I-C-K. You can check the coverage map there if, if you doubt me. They've got great coverage, 5G, data, wireless, you name it. And you can call them. they got 100% U.S.-based customer service. You can call them at 972-PATRIOT. You can tell them I sent you. Get free activation. If you're a large family, they got good discounts for multi-line houses. If you're a veteran or first responder, they get discounts for you. NRA member, discounts for you. Teacher, discounts for you. Discounts for everybody. You just got to call and ask them. Talk to them. Tell them who you are. Get to know them. They want to actually have a relationship with you and not just be some sterile company out there. They're on your side. They share your values. They're giving money to the causes you care about. So partner with them. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric or 972-PATRIOT. This hour of the program brought to you by First Liberty Building and Loan. Wherever you are nationwide, if you need access to large loans for your business, reach out to First Liberty. They can help you where a lot of banks are saying no. They make their own lending decisions, and they want to get to yes for you. So reach out to them, firstlibertyga.com, firstlibertyga.com. Y'all, in the next hour, the governor of Georgia is going to join me. I will tell you, I've been here during commercial break texting several people around the state of Georgia. Just so you know, it it does appear that former Senator David Perdue wants to make an announcement, uh, possibly uh, before Christmas. He is calling people who are close to Casey Cagle, uh, trying to get them on board, many of them telling him no, some telling him yes. Uh, I don't know whether he's actually going to do it or not. Uh, This is all stuff being conveyed to me by uh, people who are closer to him than I am. I very much like Senator Purdue and his wife. They're wonderful people. Uh, I just think it would be a badly misguided effort to try to challenge Brian Kemp in a Republican primary. Uh, one, because, I mean, Purdue never really liked the retail politics aspect of it anyway. Two, because there's a ready attack on on um, Purdue that he lost to Ossoff. Uh, so how could he beat if he can't, if he can't beat a guy like that, how could he beat Stacey Abrams? It's, it's a readily available attack. And three, just this is bad. If you want to stop Abrams, dividing the GOP right now is really bad. Uh, running to defend the honor of Donald Trump in Georgia's is just, I think, kind of next level crazy to do when you risk Stacey Abrams getting elected. Um, so I hope he doesn't. Um, I, I very much like the guy, and that won't change even if he runs. I very much like David Perdue. But I, I think it's a not a good thing for him to do, um, trying to challenge Brian Kemp, who I also very much like and would support in the governor's race, absolutely. He's been a great governor. Uh, he was the very first governor in the United States to reopen uh, and got withering criticism, including from Donald Trump, for reopening the state when he did. And yet he stuck to his guns and reopened Georgia. And it paid off. Georgia, of the 10 biggest states in the nation, Georgia has the best economy. Not only that, uh, its kids got back to school sooner, and it's attracted more and more business into the state. It's got he, So Kemp's got a real record to run on, a financial record of stewardship and of the economy and of education and of being the guy who can stop Stacey Abrams. Why? Well, because he's already beaten Stacey Abrams once. So we'll talk to him when we come back. Right now, though, I got to tell you, I am living a real-world supply chain crisis I had to buy that fake tree. I told you all about it on a Monday. The bottom quarter of the tree showed up. Not a bottom third, not a bottom half, a bottom quarter of the tree showed up. And the rest of the tree, three quarters of the tree was supposed to show up by yesterday, December 1st. And it never showed up. 
There were three more boxes that were supposed to come. It's a big tree. It's 10 feet tall. It's a big tree. And it isn't showing up. And do you know where it is? It's in a warehouse. Do you know why it can't come to me? Because there aren't enough tractor trailer trucks and drivers to drive it to my house. I don't know where it's held up, some terminal station somewhere. If I could find it, I would drive and pick it up myself. But apparently it's stuck in some port or something and they can't get it to me because there's a lack of drivers. I want my Christmas tree. I don't want a Christmas shrub for Christmas. I I, I want a Christmas tree and I'm not going to have, and I can't get a real one because I'm so allergic. I want a real one. I'm allergic to them. And then honestly, I'm also allergic to my wife's wrath. When you got to vacuum up all the needles after they've fallen off the tree at the end of the month, I'm more allergic to that than the tree. So I got to have the fake one. And it's not coming anytime soon. All of my outside is decorated, but the inside, a quarter of a tree. And you thought these last two years were crazy. Welcome to 2022. It's coming up and nothing makes sense still, especially in business. If you're a small business owner, good luck getting financing from a big bank right now. I can offer you a fantastic solution if you're looking for $750,000 or more in financing for your business. First Liberty Building and Loan. Let's say you want to buy a new building or you want to refi existing debt or you want to buy a company. Basically, you see opportunity for your business to grow, but you've hit a wall with the mega banks getting financing. That's where First Liberty Building and Loan and my friends, the Frost family, come in. They solve small business financing problems better than anyone I've ever seen. They say yes, where big banks say no, it's that simple. Look, just do this. Spend 10 minutes with them. Call them, First Liberty Building and Loan. Say Eric sent you. In 10 minutes, you'll know if you're a good fit for their program. Go to firstlibertyga.com. That's firstlibertyga.com. They help small businesses nationwide in all 50 states. Firstlibertyga.com. 